Hey, welcome back to the City Rev Life podcast. If this is the first time you've joined us, so glad that you're joining us for this podcast episode. My name is Roby, this is Rebecca, and we are in a series uh, about healthy marriage conflict. Mm. And you know, there are so many uh, wonderful things about marriage, the joy of the romance and the friendship and the adventure of doing life together, but also one part of, of marriage is conflict. And a lot of times what we think is conflict is a sign that something's gone wrong. But what we're using this series to talk about is no conflict is something that God allows into marriage so that you can grow. And so instead of trying to get away from conflict, we want to know the skills of walking through conflict in a way that draws us closer as a marriage and helps us to grow as individuals. And so specifically in this episode, we're talking about you find yourself in a tough conversation. You are in that conflict, in that conversation, hopefully it's not just happened to you. You didn't just find yourself in a conflict. Hopefully there has been some intentionality of walking into that, but either way you find yourself in that conflict. This is, this episode's one skill, one important skill Mm. that you can use that will help that conflict go better and go more smoothly. What is that one skill? Why don't you introduce that part? So the one skill is going to be the use of an I statement. And like Roby, you were saying, this is something you're going to be using actually in the midst of your conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a simple skill, but it does take practice. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of practice um, to, to master it well and to use it effectively, especially when uh, emotions often enter into those conversations. But this helps disarm the emotions that would bring us into a place that we ultimately wouldn't want to go because mm. um, it doesn't bring about effective change um, in those conversations. So let me talk a little bit about what an I statement is. Essentially, it is a communication tool that invites your spouse or, the, or that other participant in the conversation to explore what that conflict is like for you, what it's like for you personally. So for example, something like, I feel anxious when you're running late. Mm-hmm. you understand what is it like for that person in that moment of conflict or that mm-hmm. moment of tension, right? Mm-hmm. Another example would be something like, I feel lonely when you don't text or call me. And again, it's putting on the communicator, taking ownership of his or her feelings of what that situation is like for them. So it's important to be able to identify mm-hmm. ideally at least an emotion tied to the situation and what that feels like for you. What what does that provoke in you, in your brain, in your biology of what it's like to live in your own skin in that situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an I statement is, it's really very simple. It's beginning the sentence with I feel like rather than you do this. And it's just turning around because I think our default is you do this and you do that. And every time you do this, it does that. You, 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 you. And we, when we say, we start the sentence with a you statement, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as effective. We want to start with an I statement. Now you can fumble an I statement. (laughs) You can say, I feel like you're a jerk. You know, that's not (laughs) a successful I statement. You want to say, I feel like this. And, and that's, that is uh, such a powerful skill to get in the habit of doing uh, for, for many reasons. Right. You want to communicate the emotion rather than emote the emotion, right? You don't, you want to be able to communicate. This is what this is like for me. You know, you, 
if someone's late, that might be very true. They may be regularly late rather than saying you are always late, which may very be a true, st- maybe very well a true statement. Mm-hmm. Saying it, I feel anxious when you're late. That person may have something in their past of what it was like to be waiting for a parent to pick them up from after school activity or, or waiting, yeah. you know, in the dark at night and feeling uncertain and alone. You know, there might be a lot of experiences for that person wrapped up in when someone was late, especially when they were growing up. So being able to own that and say it as an I statement is going to provoke a lot more curiosity exploration rather than defensiveness and self-preservation yeah i think i I love that that what you said about you're communicating the emotion rather than emoting it so you're saying um i feel anxious when you're late rather than saying you're always late anxiously (laughs) you know you want to just communicate uh what that is but i think there's also something that that turns around about you're taking personal responsibility absolutely i think uh, when you say it like that, I just did a you statement, right? <laughs> when I say it effectively, no, um, and taking ownership of those emotions, we're essentially being able to take inventory of our experiences and what it's like for us. So, for example, when our spouse is late or or what have you, we can often scapegoat or offload those anxious moments and saying you caused me to be anxious by your behavior, right? Well, when we turn it around as an I statement, we're taking ownership of those emotions. And so we often can point the finger and say, you're the reason why I'm anxious because you're late. You're the reason why I'm lonely mm-hmm. because you don't talk, text or call. You're the reason that I'm X, Y, and Z. And so while we may have those experiences that trigger those emotions, ultimately those emotions reside within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so rather than diffusing or deflecting um, the blame for those emotions by pointing out other people's faults, we're taking ownership of those emotions for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, no one can control what Mm. we're feeling or how we cope with our emotions. Only we can control what we're feeling and how to cope with those emotions. So using an I statement puts the blame ultimately on ourselves for those emotions and exploring some of the triggers that are bringing those emotions to the surface. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, I think about the proverb, uh, Proverbs 15, one and two, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Um, it, it says, uh, I love that because it talks about, look, there are words you're saying that you're cueing wrath, mm. but a soft word, which is singular, um, can can uh, stir up uh, stir up anger, and so it's like w- such simple words, and this is what it's saying. Wisdom sees little words. That is the difference between growing and gaining knowledge versus stirring up wrath. And and I think one of those words is: Are you going to lead off with a you statement or an I statement? Mm-hmm. And I, there's a couple things that I statements accomplishes. This is again, this is not a small thing. This is a just reworking your statement a little bit will uh, equip you to be able to communicate in a way that's bringing knowledge rather than stirring up wrath. So there's two things that these I statements can accomplish. Such a small thing, Mm -hmm. but two things particularly that just changing how we lead off uh, the sentence from a you statement to an I statement, such little things can have a big difference. So the first thing that an I statement does is it diffuses accusation. Right. 
So when you come from the I perspective, it really doesn't allow you to place blame on the other person. So in the example we talked about earlier, you know, I feel anxious when you're late. You're describing what that's like for you. And so it doesn't assign the, the blame of you're late all the time or, you know, you're so inconsiderate. <laughs> <laughs> all of those things that you may be thinking. Um, but hopefully mm-hmm. in that time with the Lord, you're diffusing a lot of those emotions and you're able to then come with a well-crafted I statement of exploring what that experience is like for you. And then you're inviting your spouse in to explore with you, hey, this is anxious for me. Mm. And it cues the empathy. It cues, um, it diffuses the defensiveness. And so it keeps us all in that frontal part of our brain rather than in the stress center part of our brain. And now we're exploring, where does that anxiety come from? Well, I might be fearful for this reason or for this, you know, my past and my childhood, there was something that happened. And so now you're able to put finger a finger on where that anxiousness comes from. Mm. and you're able to kind of tackle that together. You know, I I think that's so true because if someone were to say to their spouse, you are always late, that just immediately puts them on the defensive. And so then they're they're actually saying, well, am I always late? I wasn't late the other day. You know, and now they're they're now debating the validity of you, the accusation of you did X, Y, and Z. Whereas if it's an I feel, that's not really a debatable statement. That's just a truthful statement that you can accept. So for starters, it's less of a debate. I feel this way. But it also, instead of putting someone, again, it's, a, it's one word that is either cueing knowledge or cueing wrath. And if it's I feel like this, mm-hmm. uh, we love our spouse. You love your husband or you love your wife. And so if you find out that, that they're feeling pain... Mm. It's drawing them into empathy. I don't want to cause you that pain. Mm-hmm. And it's drawing them into that rather than putting them like on the on the back pedal of analyzing whether they agree with your statement. Mm-hmm. Now they're just now they're just entering into that statement, like right. you're saying. Right. And you know, a lot of times our spouse is like, wow, I I didn't know I was unintentionally provoking that emotion for you, that experience. I didn't realize that that was the case. Um, and so you're again inviting your spouse to enter in into exploring that and forging deeper intimacy, which is ultimately what we want mm-hmm. in our marriages. So Yeah, the I statement puts the focus on the emotional consequence of what happened. It puts the focus on the emotions it's causing rather than on the behavior mm-hmm. uh, that, that did it. And so I think that there's a shift there that's so important with the I statement. It diffuses accusation. But the other one, and I think this one's so, in, so important is it diffuses shame. And we don't think about shame a lot, but it is something every human being Mm -hmm. deals with. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Mm -hmm. and when Adam and Eve sinned, their first reflex was to cover themselves. It's because it's not just that they're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that action. There now was something about themselves that they were humiliated by. They wanted to hide. They wanted to cover themselves. They, they didn't feel like they were acceptable. They didn't feel like they could be vulnerable. They could be real. They felt like something fundamentally about themselves had now been broken. And that's shame. They were ashamed. Yeah. And so that's, that is really operating. There's some form of shame. There's some way we dress up ourselves 
to hide something about ourselves that we think is not acceptable. And so we're all, every human deals with shame. And sometimes there's things in our past that causes deeper shame, words that a, a parent spoke or words that, you know, uh, maybe in a previous, previous marriage, someone hurt, spoke to, into their life. We're all dealing with shame. And so an I statement helps diffuse yeah. as we're dealing with shame because yeah. those that shame comes into the conflict, it doesn't does. it? It does. And it's important to separate the guilt from the shame. And the guilt, you know, we, we don't like that word because it's like, well, you know, we are freed from guilt. There's no condemnation in, in Jesus Christ. And that, that is absolutely true. And here's what I would say is the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is admitting, yes, I made a mistake, but not admitting I am a mistake. You know, it's admitting that um, I... Th- I failed you in that area, but I am not a failure. Being able to separate the two because when you accept ownership of your mistakes and our imperfections, what we all have, mm-hmm. um, we are letting the Holy Spirit convict in that in that way. So I, I heard it like this, and I allow my um, faith to inform this part of my practice as a therapist, that the emotions that you feel leading up to repentance are that conviction from the Holy Spirit. But after we've repented, have asked for forgiveness, and have moved on, if we continue to feel those emotions, that feels like the guilt, and that is definitely from the enemy. So at that point of repentance, it is no longer Mm -hmm. guilt and shame that we carry. And if we still feel that, that is definitely from the enemy and not from the Holy Spirit. So separating that guilt and shame is so important. Now, research does research guilt and shame in in those terms, and it it puts it like this. And I find this interesting that research confirms what we know to be true in scripture. It says, as we admit guilt and shame, if we admit shame, that is positively correlated with things like depression, with addiction, with violence. But if we admit guilt, it's negatively correlated. So as we admit our mistakes, repent from them, they actually don't have the same hold and grip on our lives that shame does. It is negatively correlated with things like violence, depression, addiction, bullying. And so when we can separate the two, it has a profound impact on our lives and frees us being able to say, yes, you are correct. I did make a mistake in that area. And I wish I could tell you, I'm never going to make that mistake again. But in this moment, I am sorry. And I'm going to try to to do better and move forward and moving together then in that full repentant light and no longer letting the sting of shame um, handicap us or paralyze us. Being able to have that healing conversation makes such a difference, a profound difference in how we move forward in, in healing and restoration. Yeah, I think that's so good. And, you know, one of the most powerful things we do in each other's lives is we speak, we should be speaking truth into each other's lives as to who we really are in Christ. And so we go back to this this I statement. It's so small, but it's a way to cue knowledge and not wrath. If I say, uh, if, if I say you always do this, then um, because each of us are dealing with shame and trying to believe who we are because of Jesus, mm. trying to believe that we're a child of God, we're loved, we're accepted, we're heirs, we're adopted you know, into his family, we're loved, that nothing can change that kind of... We're all trying to believe that and to disarm shame in our lives. And so even though um, one spouse may not be saying, you are a failure, but when they say you failed, because that other spouse is like everyone else, unpacking shame, not believing shame, but believing who they are in Christ, that small word may be cueing shame in their life. Mm-hmm. And so instead of 
instead of turn the spotlight onto the I statement, instead of you failed, say, I feel like this when this happens or when you do this. And, and putting the focus on this is how I feel is a powerful, powerful way. It's a small, small thing, but a powerful way to both diffuse accus accusation and diffuse shame and set us up for more successful yes. uh, conversations. Absolutely. Yep. It keeps us in that frontal part of our mm -hmm. brain that ultimately brings us life and brings us good, healthy conflict resolution, which is what we want. Well, we hope that this episode has equipped you for in those conversations, one small thing, just that f which first word you use in those statements. Is it you or is it I? The I statements can be a powerful way, a small thing, but a powerful way to equip you in those conflict conversations. Hope and pray that this was a blessing for you, and we'll see you next time on the City Rev Life podcast. Thank you for joining us on City Rev Life. You can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review wherever you're listening to this. And we love it when you share it with your friends on social media. For more videos and content, go ahead and check us out at cityrev.org slash podcast or download our City Rev Church app. Have a great day.